Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. You know, one of the things as you work through the book of, of Acts, and we've just kind of been picking one or two things from each chapter, but one of the repeated emphasis really an overarching theme of the book of Acts is the growth of the church, the expansion of the kingdom of God through the local church and the church being planted in different places and seeing the church grow. We, we, We should be passionate and excited about seeing churches grow, amen, especially the one that God has us planted in. You know, we have a vision right now to see this church grow to be a thousand strong, thousand average attendance on Sunday mornings. Once we hit that, we'll see where the Lord leaves us, what to focus on after that. But sometimes when you talk about church growth, people can bristle against it. They don't like it. It kind of rubs them the wrong way, even, even attaching numbers to it, like the number of thousand or whatever number. Sometimes that irritates people. They don't, they don't like it, and they've got things to say about that. But you know, when you read through the book of Acts, you, you can see that the Lord doesn't seem to mind it. In fact, I, I think he enjoys seeing the church grow, focusing on church growth, and even attaching numbers to it. Let, let, me, let me read a few different passages of scripture, just re- refer to them as you go through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, it lets us know that in, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people accepted Jesus. And then at the end of that chapter, it says that the Lord added daily. What did he add daily to? He added daily to their... He added daily to their number. That's right. Acts chapter 4, 5,000 is giving us the number. 5,000 people accepted Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, it says a multitude of men and women were... Uh, Multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. It talks like that in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 16, verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Over and over and over again, you see this growth of the church. And it's, it's being given as good news, by the way. These aren't like disappointing. Uh, the thing keeps growing. I, I believe Jesus was excited to see his body grow. And it's giving us numbers. Numbers and referring, their, their number continued to increase. And so sometimes there's an ignorance that operates in people that thinks if you emphasize church growth, corporate, corporate growth, and even talk about numbers, that when you emphasize corporate growth, you don't really care about an individual's growth. The two are not mutually exclusive. You can want to see the church corporately grow. It doesn't mean you don't care about the individual growing. Look at Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. He's talking about corporate growth, but you wouldn't dare say, Jesus, you just care about court. You don't care about people. You don't care about individuals. No, Jesus understood that as one grows, so does the other. That one of the most beneficial things for a person, if they're going to grow in their walk with the Lord, is to be actively engaged in a thriving, flourishing, growing church. That's beneficial to the individual to be a part of a church that is actively actively growing. The, the two are not mutually exclusive. They go hand in hand. As one grows, the, the other grows. So we have a strategy in our church that we want to see people live, grow, serve. Live, grow, serve. Three words, really easy. We want to see people come to know Jesus, experience newness of life, and then celebrate that newness of life. 
We want to see them grow in their relationship with God, their relationship with others. And we want to see them get to a point where they're actively, actively serving. And when they're serving, we still want them to be excited about newness of life. We still want them growing in their relationship with God and others. But we want them actively engaged at helping other people find newness of life and help other people grow and see that cycle just continue, continue to repeat and see the church continue to grow as people grow. And as people grow, the church grows that the two, the two go hand in hand. It is important that the church grows and it's important that it's important to us that the church grows. It's important that it's important to you that the body of Christ is increasing in number. How many people think we should be like Jesus? Okay. All right. Some of you weren't with me before, but that's something we can, all right, we got common ground there. Jesus is our example. We should be like Jesus. You know, when you read through the gospels, one of the things you can notice is that so many times the disciples, they didn't grasp what was going on. That things would go over their heads. They, they, they would miss things. It wasn't until after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. It seems like then they started connecting the dots and, and putting some things together and realizing like, oh, that's what, the, that's what those scriptures meant. They were talking about. There's so many things they, they just missed. Even direct things that Jesus would sometimes say to them. He, he would, on their way to Jerusalem, he, he told his disciples, the son of man is going to be betrayed. He's going to suffer. He's going he's to be crucified, but in three days he'll, he'll rise again. Even that direct, they're like, what, what was he talking about? It, it, they, they, they missed even things that he said to them directly. But of all the things that they missed, there, there is a time where they were able to grab a scripture from the Old Testament and recognize, it, it was talking about this guy. We, we see the connection. It's in the Gospel of John when Jesus cleansed the temple. You remember that story? He makes a whip. He's driving people out. Money changers, get out of here. Flipping over tables, all those kinds of things. It says the disciples remembered the scripture that said zeal or passion for God's house will consume him. They, they realized that that scripture was talking about this guy, that there was a passion. We've talked about this before, a passion, not just for God. Of course, he was passionate about God, but that verse says passion for God's house, yeah. not passion for him. His passion for God was expressed in his zeal, his love for the house. Now, most of you, if not all of you, just said we should be like Jesus. Jesus is the example. Well, then if I'm not passionate, not just about God, we should be passionate about him, but also a zeal that's, man, it just eats me up. We should have a desire, a love, a passion for the house of God, for the church of Jesus Christ. And if you realize this morning, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. You hear Pastor Josiah make comments about, hey, that call is seeing, man, that, that we ought to get that as a church and feel that, maybe chuckle a little bit, roll, roll your eyes. That, that should excite us. Yet the best should belong to the church of Jesus Christ. I want to see the church grow. I want to see it flourish. I want to see it dominate this community. I want to see it take the state for Jesus. There should be a desire on the inside of us, a passion for the house of God. I want to see this thing thrive and flourish, and I want to do everything I can to see God's house grow and improve and increase and take ground. There should be a passion. If I'm supposed to be like Jesus, Jesus, passion for the house of God should consume, that it should bother me when things aren't going well. Man, I want to see God's house grow. I want to see the people of God thrive and flourish. I want to see you get bigger and better and bigger and better, more and better disciples. And if that isn't the case in our hearts, then that, that should be a red flag. I've got to make some adjustments. Now, I'm mentioning this for a couple of reasons. One, because it's true and we need to hear it. 
but also because there's been kind of a repeated theme that keeps bubbling to the surface over the last month, month and a half, two months, that keeps coming up just, you have a purpose. God has a plan for you. You play a specific role. You have an assignment. You have a task. You, you are gifted. It keeps coming, coming to the surface. And it's true. I want to talk about that a little bit more this morning and give some practical steps of things we can do as believers to gain clarity to know what, what is my role as a man of God? What is my assignment as a woman of God? Things we can do to get clear. But if we allow ourselves to be in the group of people that kind of bristle against church growth and all of those things, it will become difficult, if not impossible, to receive clarity on your task and your assignment because your task and your assignment are going to be a part of seeing the church grow. That that is the overarching purpose, that once you come into the kingdom, you can't say, ah, that church growth, I don't, I don't like that. I, that God, not, it's distasteful to me. I just want to know what I'm supposed to do. Well, what you're supposed to do is going to contribute yeah. to seeing the church grow. So when you reject one, you unknowingly close your eyes to the other. So it's important that we are passionate about seeing the church grow, to see it increase. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago that your life, Colossians chapter 3 says, your life, your purpose, understanding who you are, what you are, how you are, it's hidden in Christ. Your purpose is in Christ. So it would be foolish to think you're going to find your purpose, your calling, your, your giftedness, your assignment outside of what Christ is all about. And Christ is about building, building the church. You are gifted. You are anointed. You are called. There's things God has for you to do that no one else can do it like you can do it. And I want to give you some ways, again, to help discover that. But it's all going to be tied into seeing the church grow. Amen? So let's pray, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter Acts chapter 20. Father, we love you. I thank you so much for each person here this morning. God, every gift that is represented. Father, every calling, every anointing that's in the people of God in this room right now, those that are watching online, I thank you for it. And Father, as we go to your word, we invite you through your word, through your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Give us revelation. Give us understanding. Give us insight. Enlighten us so we can know you more. Lord, that we could, we could bring you glory and honor to live out our calling. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak. We praise you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You can turn to Acts chapter 20 if you haven't already. At the end of Acts chapter 19, Paul and his, his ministry partners are in Ephesus. Riots break out. Things start getting crazy, so they, they leave there. They go from there to Macedonia. From Macedonia, Paul's making his way back to Jerusalem. They stop at a place called Troas. It's in, in that community that Paul, he's, he's kind of hitting these places quick. He's speaking to these people late into the night. And it's the story of a, a, a guy that's in the window, upstairs window, falls asleep listening to Paul preach and teach, falls out because he fell asleep, lands on the ground, and dies. So that should be a warning. Lesson number one is don't fall asleep when someone is preaching and teaching. Amen? You never know what's going to happen. You're taking your life in your hands by letting yourself, so you can slap yourself around, ask your neighbor, poke me. If you see me falling asleep, this is not worth my life. So this guy falls asleep during the message, and he ends up dying. startling some people awake right now. 
So Paul goes outside, raises him from the dead, goes back in, finishes his message, preaches until the sun's coming up. And he goes from there to a place called Miletus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. While he is there, he sends people to go and get the leaders of the Ephesian church. Go get the, the elders from that church. Have them come and meet me here. I want to say some things to them. And a bulk of Acts chapter 20 is this address to the Ephesian elders. And he's sharing things with them while he's talking to them. He says, listen, this is the last time you'll ever see me. You'll never see me again. Until we, get, until we get to heaven. So it's, it's emotional. He's also, there's a lot he's packing into. He's saying some meaningful things. I, I would encourage you to read through Acts chapter 20. I mean, a, a lot of great nuggets of truth. It's in Acts chapter 20 that, that Paul quotes Jesus as saying, it is better to give than, than to receive. So many great things that he's talking about. I wanna focus on, on just a couple of them this morning. We'll pick it up in verse 18. <laughs> It says, when they arrived, he declared, it's talking about when they, the Ephesian leaders that he sent for, when they arrived, Paul starts this, this address to them. When they arrived, he declared, you know from that the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read the next couple of verses, but I love the simplicity where Paul wraps up really the heart of the gospel. He says, when I came, I've had one message. Jews, Greeks, it didn't matter. There's one message. Repent from your sins, turn to God, and put your faith in Jesus. And that's, that's worth memorizing those three little lines just to sum up the gospel when we're ministering to someone else. It's just one thing. You need to stop sinning, turn to God, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That, 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 that's it. That's the gospel. Amen? I, I just love how sim I like simple things. I like things that are easy to wrap my mind around. Repent from sin, turn to God, put your faith in Jesus Christ. He continues talking from there, verse 22. He says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So, so Paul is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. What I do know is there's going to be some suffering involved. There's going to be jail. The Holy Spirit's let me know. Jail and suffering lie ahead. That would be enough to cause some people to say, well, maybe we change our plans. Maybe we go someplace else. Jail and suffering are in that direction. I'm going to find a different direction to go. That, that didn't discourage him. That didn't cause him to redirect. There was something operating on the inside of him. This is, I don't care if suffering's involved. I'm going anyway. He's just talked about his ministry in the province of Asia. He says, you guys know when I came, the trials, the difficulties, the the hardships that I, that I endured, and I never shrank back. I didn't flinch. You know how many tears were involved. It was difficult. It was tough going. I never flinched. What was going on in Paul's life that through those obstacles and hurdles and difficulties, he never shrank back. He just kept on driving forward, difficulty and suffering it. I don't care. I'm still going that direction. Well, there's, there's a, a clue to that or a key in the next verse. Verse 24, he says, but my life is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work 
assigned to me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. My life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work that Jesus assigned me to do. Paul is talking about a possibility that our lives, his life, but if it's true for him, it's true for me, and it's true for you, that it's possible, depending on how we prioritize, how we conduct ourselves, how you spend your life, it is entirely possible for a person to live their life, but their life amounts to absolutely nothing. Their life is of zero value. Your life is worthless. It is useless. That, that's a devastating thought. It should be a devastating thought. That you spend your entire life and it is useless. There's no worth. You've accomplished nothing. You just wasted your entire life. He says, unless, unless what? Unless I complete, unless I am engaged in the work that was assigned to me, my assignment, my task, the mission that God has given me. And again, if it's true for Paul, it's true for us that your life can be worthless. It can be useless. It can be a great big waste unless you are actively involved in carrying out the assignment, your purpose, the task that God has given you. Within that task, within that assignment, that's where your life has value and meaning and worth. If you're outside of that sphere of your task and your assignment, you are wasting your time, wasting opportunities. Your life will be useless unless it is used to do the task that God has given you. Now, was Paul's life valuable? Did he have any worth? Was there any value? Yeah, his life made major. It's still impacting us right now, thousands of years later. So he was actively involved. He was successful at carrying out the task. Now, what, what if Paul, what if Paul wasn't clear on what the task was? What if he was a really nice guy, but instead of being an apostle, he was a, a kindergarten teacher? Or, or what if Paul decided to be a dentist or a nurse or start a small business? He's going to be a shoe salesman. What if he would have done those things? Well, according to his own words, then he would have wait, his life would have been useless because he wouldn't have been carrying out the task that was assigned. There's, there's nothing wrong with any of those other things unless you've been assigned to do something different, and then there is something wrong with it. So it's important that you and I understand what our purpose is and what our task, what you, are you assigned when it comes to carrying out the, a purpose, what, what's your role in getting the job done? Because if you don't know, then you could possibly waste your life. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, it says, arise and shine. Arise shine. That, that's, that's something in each of our hearts. There's a desire on the inside of you that you want to rise. You want, you want to live a life of significance. You want to shine. Amen. Anyone identify with that? I don't want to live a mundane. I certainly don't want my life wasted. I don't want to, to spend however many years I get and it amounts to nothing. I don't want to live a mundane, meaningless life. I want to rise higher. I want to be somebody special and do something of impact. I want my life to shine. He's saying arise and shine on the basis of what? What is that rising and shining contingent on? Arise and shine because your light has come. Because light, light has come. When, it, when the Bible talks about light, it's talking about revelation. Understanding something you didn't understand before. That you can, you can see. I didn't see it before, but now I see it. We can apply this to all kinds of different things. Specifically this morning, applying it to your purpose. Your assignment that the reason that Paul was able to rise and shine is because he received light on what his task was 
and what his, what his assignment was. And again, if it was true for Paul, it's true for you and it's true for me. In order for you to rise and shine, you've got to receive some light, some understanding. Why am I here? What are the gifts that God has put on the inside of me? Because again, you are, you are gifted. You are anointed. When God was forming you in your mother's womb, whether you realize it or not, he was depositing gifts. He was dreaming up your days. He was handcrafting you. He made you to be a channel, a vessel, a conduit to declare his glory for him to show himself in some unique way through your life, things that he wanted to manifest in you and through you. And so we've got to Come to a light, receive light so that we can rise and shine and be who God has called us to be. There's some things that it does for us. One of the things is it gives you boldness. It gives you a boldness when you know here is why I am on the earth. Here is my task. Here is my assignment. Going back to those verses we read, why was Paul able to say, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care what happens. I'm going. When he got to the providence of Asia, how he had trials and tears and difficulties. I never shrank back. It didn't affect me. How was he able to keep on moving forward and never flinch? He knew his task. He knew his mission. He knew why he was there. He knew where he was going. He knew what his assignment was. When, when you are uncertain, it, it causes all kinds of questions and doubt. Have you ever been driving someplace that you were uncertain of how to get where you're going? driving through a city or someplace you're unfamiliar with, and you're, you're constantly second-guessing yourself. Uh, man, I, I don't know if we should have turned there. Were we supposed to take, I thought you said take a left, let's circle back around. I mean, you're taking all kinds of wrong turns. If there's construction or, or something, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be going this way. Should we be sitting in this traffic? Have you ever been in the middle of an intersection and like, you hesitate three or four times, you start turning left, you start just like you're going back and forth. You're, you're uncertain if you know where you're going, it gives you a confidence and a boldness just to get the thing done, get where you're going, and it applies to knowing your purpose and your assignment. If you find yourself always second-guessing, you're not going to want to go through hardship and trials and difficulties and tears if you're not even sure you're heading the right direction. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be going. Why, why would I put up with this difficulty when, for all I know, I, I should be someplace else entirely? But if you know your purpose and your assignment, it gives you a boldness, that confidence, Another thing, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is it removes, it destroys inferiority. Always comparing yourself with someone else, feeling less than. Because you understand, I've been designed, God crafted me, gifted me for a particular task, a specific assignment. You weren't made for my assignment. And I wasn't made for your assignment. So there's no sense in us comparing and trying to, to measure up. We're, we're made for different, di different purposes, different tasks, different assignments. And when you know your assignment, you know why you're here, it allows you to appreciate the way that God has made you. Yes. Okay, I see what you're doing, God. It makes, it makes perfect sense. But when you don't know your assignment or you're jealous for someone else's assignment, that's when you're frustrated with the way God has made you. Have you ever been frustrated with the way God made you? Man, why can't I sing like that? It doesn't make any, why? I'd love to sing like that. How come I'm not organized like that person? How come I don't have those opportunities? When you don't know your assignment, you'll be frustrated with the way God made you. When you understand your assignment, it allows you to appreciate God made you just right for the work that he has for you. He gave you exactly the right gifts for the assignment that came along with those gifts. God knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. I, I heard someone say it like this, and I liked it. If someone, if someone is taller than you, then they're too tall for your assignment. And if someone is shorter than you, they're, they're too short for your assignment. Because what, what he meant was, he was talking about how specifically God has fashioned and formed you. If someone is different for you, you, you know what? 
They're, they're disqualified for what God, it's not something to be jealous of. They've got their own, don't fall prey to comparing yourself with other people. You have a mission. You have an assignment. You have a task. You have a role. Now, that role and that assignment, like I said earlier, it's going to fit within the overarching purpose of advancing the kingdom and building the church. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about how we're all parts of the body. We have different functions, different places, different roles to play, but we're all part of the same body working towards the same, working towards the same goal. And so number one, you've got to know your purpose. Paul knew his purpose was advancing the kingdom, building the church. And then he knew, what does that look like for me? For Paul, it meant traveling around to these different cities and planting the church. That doesn't mean that's the way it looks for everybody. It can, it can look very different for different people. The purpose is the same. You've got to know your purpose. The purpose is build the church, advance the kingdom. More and better disciples. Whether you knew it or not, now you know that is your purpose. That is your purpose, to build the kingdom. Amen. Amen. That's your purpose. Now, the funnel narrows within that purpose. What's your, what's your assignment? How, how do you help advance the kingdom? How do you help build the church of Jesus Christ? How do you help do that? There's a purpose and there's an assignment. Like I said, I want to give you some practical, simple ways to help get clarity. Lord, what is my role? What is, what is my assignment? I, I want to play off just kind of using an analogy to build off of the idea of you're like a product, right? You've been manufactured, someone, someone created you because it's really not a, an analogy, it's reality, right? In some ways, you, you are a product that has been made by, by a craftsman. So just kind of playing off of that analogy, the first thing to do is to ask, ask the maker, ask the manufacturer, right? If you, what, what is this product for? Why, do, why does this product exist? In this case, you. You can ask the manufacturer. I know this is really simple, you know, very basic, but sometimes people skip, skip over this and, and miss this obvious step. You spend time in prayer. Ask God why you are here. Take time to pray. Father, why, why am I here? What is my task? How am I gifted? What is the role you want me to play in advancing, advancing your kingdom? Father, open the eyes of my heart. Increase my sensitivity. Open my powers of perception so I can know my role in your kingdom. I don't want to miss it. I don't want my life to be useless. God, I want to honor you. Father, I, I cannot miss my purpose. Let me know my task. Make it clear. Spend time seeking, talk to them. You have access to the one who made you. You have direct access to the one who put those gifts on the inside. Take advantage of that access. Number one, talk to the manufacturer. I know it's really basic. Don't, don't miss that. Number two, look at the product. In this case, this is you looking at you. What burdens do you have? What, what things bother you? What bothers you doesn't seem to bother other people. What needs catch your attention? It's like, man, that, that, I, that bothers me. It doesn't seem to bother other people the way that it bothers me. When you, when you read through the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a story of Nehemiah going and rebuilding Jerusalem. It starts off where he is in exile in Persia. He's, he's a servant for a Persian king. And one day people come. There's been some people that have gone back to Jerusalem. He gets a report back. Other Jewish people coming and saying, man, Jerusalem, it, it is a disgrace. It's embarrassing what's happening there. It is not in good shape. The walls are torn down. Now, these people are saying it's a shame, 
but it affects Nehemiah differently. It says that he falls to the ground or he sits to the ground. He begins, he begins to weep. It breaks his heart. It's not because he's just overly emotional. He's kind of unstable, man. He just cries all the time. Just give him a few minutes. He'll get over it. No, he, it, he had a sensitivity, a burden, because God wanted to use him to do something about it. If he would have just said, man, that is too bad. I, phew, good grief. Man, I hate that. Anyway, what else did you see in Jerusalem? No, it, it broke his heart because God, God wanted to put that burden, a sensitivity that he couldn't, he couldn't shake it. He had to do something, something about it. This past week, my, my wife was reading to our family uh, the, the story about David Wilkerson who started Teen Challenge and, and the, the way that it all got started. The Cross and the Switchblade is, is the name of the book. And she was reading that story. In that story, he talks about how one night he's, he's a, a a pastor in a rural town in Pennsylvania, just to, to, uh, in a farming area. And one night he's minding his own business. He's flipping through, I think it was Life Magazine. He's just looking at articles. He turns the page. It was an article about um, a trial going on in New York City. These gang members had killed some boy. He sees that. He flips the page. And then he goes back and he looks at it. And he's looking at the picture of an artist rendering, like they'll do in courtrooms sometime. This artist had drawn these gang members. And he said that he looked at the way the artist had drawn them. He was looking in the eyes of one of those boys in particular. And he said he could see just a hopelessness and a despair. And it started to do something on, on the inside of him. He couldn't shake it. it he, he had a burden. Now, most people would say, man, gangs, oh, I hate that. Kids caught up in violence and drugs. That is a shame. And then, and then move on to something else. He couldn't. He had a burden. He ended up asking his church for gas money so he could drive up there and go to the trial and try to talk to the lawyer and start getting involved. And then eventually, you know, he, he moves there and starts Teen Challenge. All of that started with, man, something. There was an irritation. That, that bothers me. I, don't, I can't accept the way that that's going on. What things bother you? Pay attention to the way that God has made you. Don't shrug it off. Don't allow what irritates you. Man, I, I just don't like the way that's done. Sometimes in the body of Christ, when things bother us like that, we just allow ourselves to become critics. And we can criticize, some, Christians can be some of the best critics in the world. We can criticize something up one side and down the other. You can criticize a, a, a church, a ministry, a community. Here's the problem with that community. They have a problem with this. Here's the problem with that event. Here's what didn't go right. Here's what did go wrong. Here's what they should have done. Here's the problem with that church. Here's what they should do differently. Don't allow, like, like, like a food critic or a restaurant critic, instead of us becoming critics, let's get in the kitchen and help solve the problem. That we should be, we should be cooks. How can I do something? something about it. Instead of just pointing out the flaws, maybe God has opened your eyes and it bothers you so much because he's calling you not just to point out the flaw, but to fix the flaw. So pay attention to the product. What things bother you? What things irritate? Man, I, I can't stand when it breaks my heart that. What, what burdens do you have? What needs are you sensitive to? What, what things do you like? What desires do you have? You know, when Paul became an apostle, he went and met with the church leaders, and he talks a little bit about it in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 2, I think it's in, in verse 9 and 10, he talks about how he was recognized, they recognized the gift that was in him, and they agreed that he should be an apostle to the Gentiles, where they would be an apostle to the circumcised or to the, to the Jewish people. He says that they, they agreed I should be an apostle to the Gentiles, and they asked that I would remember the poor. 
Those are the very things I was eager to do. That's what I wanted to do. There was a desire on the, he wanted to be. He wasn't like, oh man, I get stuck with that task. God had put a desire on the inside of him. They say, you know what? What we're feeling for you is to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And we also ask you to remember the poor. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. What thing, God will put desires in your heart. Here's where I want to be involved. Here's what I would like to do. And sometimes, sometimes be because that's just the way that you're wired. And I've been this way, I've talked to a number of people, they, they, they dismiss the desires that they have. Because the way you are, you often assume that everyone's that way. You wanna work with youth. Well, I just kind of assume that if everyone, anyone will work with youth if they had the chance. No, that's not the case. I just assume everyone would wanna open a restaurant. No, some people would hate to open a restaurant. That's a desire God's put in you. I, I just... I mean, I think everyone would want to be a doctor, be in, in the medical field. No, some people, that, I would hate to be in the medical field. You know, pay attention. Don't dismiss those desires. God puts the desires in your heart, lining up with the calling that, that's on your life. I've shared a number of times about when I was a, a teenager wanting so badly to be a, a youth pastor. That was a desire God put in my heart. He was leading me through those desires. I've shared as a 17-year-old boy, my dream vehicle was a 15-passenger van. That's what I would fantasize about. Instead of a Corvette, man, I, I would just think about what it would be like to be driving a 15-passenger van. When, when I was in college, full-time student, part-time job, my wife and I volunteered at a church. We were the worship leaders, and we, we worked with the youth. We didn't, get paid. What, we didn't get paid anything. We just wanted to do it. We were as busy as could be. We were making time. What things would you, man, I would pay to be able to do that. What things do you just want to do? I was having youth retreats in my dorm room breaking rules so I could reach these teenagers, sneaking them in so I could have like a little, you know, lock-in in my dorm room. We're supposed to be doing that. What, what things are you just, you're trying to figure out how can I, how can I do, you've got that desire in you so strong. Pay attention, pay attention to that. So we're, we're, we're going to look to the manufacturer. We're gonna pay attention to, to the product. What burdens do you have? What desires has God put on the inside of you? And I'm using ministry examples where what we would consider full-time ministry examples. It, it doesn't just pertain to that. Different people are gonna have different desires. Some people are gonna, I want to start a business. I wanna go into the medical field. I wanna work with foster families. I've got a desire in my heart to be in, in public schools and to be teaching all kinds of different desires, but we all have the same purpose right? The purpose is to advance the kingdom and build the church, but then God uses us with different methods and different roles, and what he's led you to put your hand to, don't allow your passion for the method to become greater than your passion for the purpose behind the method. When you get involved in your business, when you get involved in your career, remember why, why you are there. You're not just a nurse that happens to be a Christian. Be a, be a Christian nurse. That, that's why you're there to carry the presence of God. You're not just a businessman that also, you know, a, yeah, I guess I also happen to be Christian. That's true. You're not just a lawyer or you're not just a factory worker, whatever it is that if somebody really gets to know you after a couple years, they'll discover somewhere down the road that you're involved in the church and you love Jesus. Let it be front and center that that is, that is the purpose you have to advance the kingdom. That's just the role. That's just the assignment. God has me stationed here in this building, stationed in this workplace, stationed in this school, but my purpose is to advance the kingdom. That, that's why I am here. Don't allow your passion for the method to supersede your passion for the purpose that gave you the method. Amen. Amen. Pay attention to the manufacturer. Pay attention to the product. Number three, this is, this is simple. Read the instructions. Yeah. Read, read the instructions. Yeah. God, God's given you his, his word. Pay attention to the word of God. 
Get it in your heart. Digest it. Meditate on it. So it's not just some beliefs, some doctrines, a few verses you're familiar with. It becomes a part of you. Feed on the word of God. You know, while we were away on vacation, I convinced my daughters to go on a couple of hikes with me. I like to hike. They don't, but I talked them into it. So we went on a couple of hikes, kind of, kind of long ones. And so I would throw some water and a couple of things to eat in a backpack. There's some apples and granola bars. You know how you do. And you head off on, on a hike and you're walking and walking and walking. And while you're walking, the, the, what's in that backpack is kind of weighing you down sweating underneath that backpack. You find a place to sit and take a break and drink the water, eat a granola bar, eat an apple. And something changes when you, it gets inside of you. It went from something that was costing you energy and then it becomes something that's giving you energy. It goes from something that's weighing you down and slowing you down, something that is pulling power away from you. Now I'm running on that same thing that, that was weighing me down. Now it's, it's fueling me and moving me forward. That's the way the word of God works. Too many people just have this book, have a bunch of stuff in their head. They know some rules. It's just something they've got to navigate and kind of work around to be able to live their lives. But if you'd meditate on it and get it in you, it would go from a burden that you carry to something. Man, I'm running on the word of God. I used to carry this. Now this is carrying me. This used to weigh me down and slow me down and be a burden. Now it's sustaining me. It's the one that's carrying and empowering and adding fuel and energy to my, to my life. Paul, Paul told Timothy to meditate on the word of God and that his success, his advancement would be evident to all. You see it in Joshua chapter one. You see it in Psalm chapter one to meditate, to feed, to let the word of God become a part of you. Now, sometimes we think of the word of God as just being kind of general. What I want to know is what about Luke? What am I supposed to be doing? You want to know about you. And God's word is great and all, but it's kind of generic and general guidelines. But what you want to know is what about you and your life? Well, something happens when you meditate on the word of God that it becomes specific for you. That God's word is living and active and has a way of moving from general to specific application. You know, in Joshua chapter one, the same word that God said to meditate on it and it would give Joshua success. It, it, it was the same book of the law that David was talking about in Psalm chapter one that if he would meditate on, it would give him success. Now, they're, they're different roles in different time periods, operating in different ways. They had different tasks, but if they would meditate on that same word, it empowered Joshua to lead the people of God into the promised land, meditating on the word of God. And as David meditated on those same verses, it allowed him to conquer a giant and to, to be king uh, of Israel and set up the building of, of the temple. They're meditating on the same thing, but it manifests in them in them different ways. You know, so God's word is living and active and will begin to reveal things to you specifically. Sometimes just a verse will come alive on the inside of you differently than it affects somebody else. You can be reading it and it's, it's true for everyone, but man, the Holy Spirit breathes on it when it hits your heart. It hits you. It hits you differently. God speaks to you specifically. You can read, hey, care for the orphans. Passage that says care for the orphans. Yeah, we need to do that, man. You, you, you agree. You have no problem with that. Someone else reads that same thing and it becomes a life mission to start an orphanage and go out because it comes alive and on the inside. Of them. I'm just using examples. Uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you read that and say, yeah, that's good advice. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I'm not going to allow myself to be a drunk. Someone else reads that same verse. It becomes a life mission. I'm, I'm going to go after addicts and people that are uh, addicted to alcohol and drugs. and I'm going to see them instead of being filled with that, fall in love with Jesus and be filled with the Spirit. It becomes like a, a mission statement. God's word is living 
living and active. The, the Bible says it's a lamp unto my path and a, a light for my feet. It's going to help me know how to walk through this. That's specific. Knowing where to step, that, that is specific. It's not just a compass like, eh, that away. No, this step, then this step, then this step. That's the way the Word of God works in our lives. If you were here Wednesday night, we, we talked about how God's Word in the book of James is referred to as a mirror. When you look in a mirror, who do you want to see? You, you don't look in a mirror to see someone else. You look in a mirror to see you. Then when you look in God's Word, I get clarity on who I am. When you look in God's Word, you get clarity, not on me, you get clarity on you because it functions, it functions as, as a mirror. Number one, ask the manufacturer. Number two, look at the product. Number three, read the instructions. Number four, maybe where my analogy starts breaking down. Re read the product reviews. I've spent too much time on Amazon, I'm sorry. It's starting to affect my preaching. Read the product reviews. But by that, I mean, what, what do people say about you? What do people notice about you? And I'm not talking about people that don't like you and are just saying harsh things. But you should have some people in your lives, some mentors, some close friends that love you, some family members that are able. What do they notice about you? What gifts do they see in you? Because again, when you're gifted in certain ways, when you have certain abilities, it's intuitive. You don't realize. You've just always been good with numbers. You've just always been good with people. You, you, don't, you don't notice it, and it can be helpful for someone else to notice that in you and call it out. What are people saying about you? What areas do people want you to be involved in? People are always asking me to help with. You can pay attention to what people never ask you to help with as well. Man, you know they've never asked me to help with kids. You know they've never asked me to help out with cooking a meal. Maybe there's a reason behind that too. We're, just, we're trying to get clarity here. You know, uh, leading up to VBS, there's a, a group of kids that always do dances for VBS, a group of girls. They'll practice on Sundays after church. And so as people are leaving after second service and the church is kind of emptying out, I'll come in here to grab my stuff before I leave. And a lot of times the, the, those girls will be up practicing. And sometimes I'll, I'll try to be funny and act like I'm the dance instructor. Okay, now it places everybody. And, you know, they'll, they'll politely laugh and kind of roll their eyes. The instructor will kind of give me a, you know, courtesy laugh, and then I leave. The, the, the instructor, whoever's really leading the dance, has never said, what, one second, pulled me aside and said, you know what, what you did there was, that was amazing. Would you please be a part of our, <laughs> our dance crew? No one's ever asked me, after seeing what I have to offer in the area of, of dance, no one has ever recruited me to help be a part of any kind of, of dance Ministry. Well, maybe there's a reason behind that. What, what areas do people want you, they want you involved in that area. What areas do people not want you? What do people say about you? What gifts are they calling out in you? What do they notice about you? What are your strengths? What things come easily to you? It's difficult for someone else. It's easy for you. You, you need to be aware of your strengths. You also need to be aware of your weaknesses. And, you, and, and it can be very helpful to have other people you know, in, in 2 Kings chapter 4 is a story of a widow who is in financial distress. She's about to lose her sons because she's in debt. And so she goes to Elisha, goes to the man of God and says, here's my situation. And he says, well, what do you, what do you have? She says, I don't have anything. He says, you have nothing in your house? Well, I, I mean, yeah, just a little oil. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you have some oil? Okay, let's talk about that. How can God develop that? How can God use what you have? Sometimes you think you are completely, you have no gifts. What, what do you have to offer? I, I don't have anything to offer. I don't, I don't have anything to contribute. I'm not very gifted. I'm not very talented. I mean, 
might be good with people. Whoa, 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 hold on. You're good with people? Let, what, what do you have that God can begin to develop and use? And like in this woman's case, it took someone else helping her walk through. Okay, what, what do you have? What are you good at? What resources do you have? At first she said, I, I don't have anything. She mentioned one little thing and God used that when she put that in God's hand. God used that to expand and develop and swallow up every area of lack and every area of need. You won't be able to put something in the hands of God until you're aware that you have it. You have given things. You have, you have certain talents. You have certain abilities. You are gifted. What are those strengths and what are your weaknesses? Because you need to be aware of your areas of weakness as well. Because the enemy will try to use your weaknesses to derail you and, and keep you from accomplishing your mission, which according to what we read, makes you useless in life, make your life of zero value. It happens. People allow their weaknesses to become their undoing. Now, obviously we believe we're strong in Jesus, we're free from, from sin, but we also need to be wise enough not to put ourselves in, in situations that would compromise us. So sometimes we have weaknesses just because we're a man or a woman. We have specific weaknesses as well for men, generally speaking. Areas of sexual temptation can be a problem. Maybe for women, it's more with, with gossip or, or talking or things like that. Whatever it might be, we've got some general weaknesses we need to be aware of, but then also some specific things. Maybe just as an individual, man, this is just an area I've gotta be careful. I've gotta be careful of. And set up safeguards so that weakness, the enemy isn't able to take you out. If you have a weakness when it comes to alcohol, make sure you, you stay far away from alcohol. If you got a problem with women, stay far away from situations where you can get yourself in trouble, whatever that shortcoming is. Because the Bible has stories of people, uh, of, of people that God used in amazing ways and they fulfilled, like Paul, fulfilled their assignment. And other people, other men and women, their weakness got him off course. Esau is an example. You know, Esau had a birthright that he traded to satisfy a physical appetite. That's a warning to us. What God had for him, his destiny, what was set aside for him, he squandered it because he couldn't control a physical appetite. Be aware of your appetites. Be aware of areas of weakness. You know, Judas, Judas is someone who allowed a weakness to derail his life. When Jesus selected him to be a disciple, you know, the way we think of Judas, we think of it after the fact. He wasn't always some sinister character, always dressed in black with eyeliner, painted his fingernails black, had a hunchback. Why is he the only disciple wearing a hood and kind of dragging one leg? And that's how we like picture Judas. That's not the way he was when Jesus called him. Of all the people in Israel, he selected 12. Judas made the cut. But when you think of the life of Judas, what do you think of? Failure. He failed. You don't think of him as the young man that Jesus said, I see potential in you. You're gifted. I want you, I want to pour three years of my life into you. You don't think of that when you think of Judas. You're just aware of the failure. How did that come about? He had a weakness when it came to money. He ended up selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You know, the Bible tells us that he, he was the treasurer of their little group. If he had a problem with money, he should have said, thanks, but no thanks. I, I can't accept that position. The Bible says he was the treasure and he often used to steal some of the money. That he positioned himself and it behaved in such a way to keep a negative weakness, a characteristic, just to keep it flowing in his life. It seemed to be under control, but then it ended up derailing him and sending him to hell. Be aware of your strengths. Be aware of your, your weaknesses. You've got, you've got to know yourself. 
You've got to know yourself. Consult the manufacturer. Look at the product. Read the instructions. Pay attention to the reviews. What are other people saying? What are other people noticing about you? You are gifted. You are anointed. You are called. You've got to think of yourself in those, in those terms, to see yourself that way. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has gifted each person and there's instruction to use that gift. Don't just have it, use it, use it well. Use it well to serve the other members of the body of Christ. We see similar language, that's 1 Peter chapter four. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We see it in Romans chapter 12. You are gifted, you have a gift. God has deposited something on the inside of you that's special it's unique. He wants to use you. He has you alive for such a time as this. And in Romans chapter 12, as it's talking about how you're gifted, one of the ways it says we use our gifts is it's talking about those gifts. It says that use your gift in proportion to your faith. That you use your gift in proportion to your faith. Well, what happens when someone doubts that they're gifted? If you use your gift in proportion to your faith and you doubt that you have anything to offer, then you'll, you'll never use your gifts. Use your gift in proportion to your faith. And here's the way faith works. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't, we don't walk by sight. We walk out ahead of sight. We're walking by faith. Before we can see it, that, that's faith, amen? That, that's what, so when it comes to our gifts, use your gift in proportion to your faith. That means faith is on the cutting edge. Before you can see the gifting, maybe even before you know what the gifting is, you start talking about how gifted you are. By faith, I know that I'm gifted. I know that I'm anointed. I know God has deposited something on the inside of me. I know that he's called me. I know that he has a purpose for my life. I know I play a special function in the body of Christ. I know God wants to bring fruit through my life that he won't bring through anyone else's life. You've got to start to see yourself that way and think of your way. You will use your gift in proportion to your faith. So when the enemy tries to convince you and discourage you, you have no gifts. You're just kind of a low level player in the body of Christ. That's the enemy trying to keep you from being able to function. And he's not just after you. He's after the gift. He's after the glory that God's put on the inside of you. That treasure that's down on inside of that jar of clay. That's what he is after. And if he can discourage you, hold you down, keep you falsely modest, falsely humble. I don't really have much to offer. You know, I'm just, I'm just a guy. I'm just, I'm just a gal that's lucky to be here. No, you are gifted and you are anointed. And the more you have faith in that, the more that gift will function in your life. You'll start to step into opportunities to use it. Use your gift in proportion to your faith. The enemy isn't just after you. He's after the harvest and the impact that's going to come from your life. It's like the parable of the sower where Jesus says he throws out seed and then a bird comes and eats some of the seed and explodes explains it and says that that bird is like the devil. It's the enemy that comes to snatch up that what was planted and steal it away. It's not just about the seed. When the enemy comes after the seed, you know what he simultaneously destroys? Just picks up one seed, everything that that seed would ever produce. All, all of the harvest, all of the other seeds that would respond after that. It's not just the seed, it's everything that seed has the potential to produce. It's not just about you feeling a little discouraged. It's about the enemy trying to hold you down so you don't rise and shine the way God wants you to rise and shine, to have impact. All of the people that are dependent on you, dependent on your gifts, the tidal wave, the, the rings of influence that'll come from you being the man or the woman that God has called you to be. Let, let me read one more passage of scripture and then we're going to pray together. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 10. 
It says, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might, he might fill the entire universe with himself. Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This will continue until, what's that let you know? It won't always be, it will continue to a point, right? If I said, I'm going to stand on this platform until something happens, you know that I don't have the intention of always being on this platform. Something will happen and then I'm, I'm moving on from this platform. So what he's talking about, he said, this will continue until, verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love as each part does its own special work. You have your own special work. If you're part of the body, you have your own special work your own special work. Say, I have my own special work. I have my own special work. Verse 13 says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is going to continue until we get to that point. That means that there's a generation that's gonna get this thing figured out. There's a generation that's actually going to measure up to the standard of Christ. There's a generation where every person is gonna get their rear end active and start doing what God has called them to do. That each part will be doing its own special work. Well, people will stop sitting around passively. People will stop taking the role of professional critic. Each part will do its own special work. This will continue until we get to that point. Why not be the generation of people. Why not be the group of people that says, we're going to get it done. We'll be that group. We can, we can usher in the return of Jesus by being those people. This will continue until you get that. There will be a group of people that figure this thing out. It's not going to continue on like this forever. It's not going to continue just like, like regular churches, mediocre, lukewarm Christian, one church like that after another. There will be a point in time where people take it serious and say, I'm going to take my role and they're going to surround themselves with other men and women. Say, I'm going to play my own special part. I'm going to do the work. I refuse to let my life be worthless. I refuse to let this all be a waste. God, I want to do the task that you've assigned me. There's a time coming where that will say until they'll, they'll reach the time where it's talking about why not do everything in our ability to be the people that fulfill that, to say we're going to be the generation that figures this thing out, that actually functions as the men and women of God that he's been called to be. If, if you're one of those people clapping your hands excited, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.